0: Recovery Elevator, episode 19.
1: And I'm just trying to knock this devil off my shoulder as he he harasses me about wanting to drink in private on my way home from work.
0: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. The topic for today is going to be sugar, how sugar affects your recovery. After that, I'm going to interview Robert, and he's got five days of sobriety, which is awesome. After that, I'm going to bring back the You Might Be an Alcoholic If segment. I asked you guys for some content, and wow, did I get some great content. Before we get into the topic, let's take a second here from our sponsor, Sober Nation. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction as well to family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recent recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line, which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can be found at www.sobernation.com. Once again, that's sobernation.com. Now let's talk about today's podcast topic, which is sugar. And let me tell you about my Friday night where this sugar addiction kicked in big time. So I've always heard, have chocolate around when you're in recovery and sobriety. And I've always given myself a little bit of leeway say, you know what, we're not going to drink tonight, but I'm going to allow myself to have 17 donuts or 75 (laughs) gummy bears. But in reality, sure, it's not alcohol, but it's pretty detrimental to our health as well. So Friday night, I'm at a wedding. And after the wedding, we're all standing in a group conversing. A bottle of wine drops on the floor right behind me about five feet, Y'all know that aroma, just red wine, and this was cheap wine, let's put it that way, just flowing into my nostrils, right? I didn't want to get on my hands and knees and slurp the wine up. I wasn't. It wasn't like I had an instant craving to start drinking wine, but I don't know if something was triggered by that smell. My body immediately wanted the alcohol, but I don't have those cravings, but I guess it sparked a sugar craving. So while I'm driving home, guess what? I veered left into a gas station and went down the candy aisle. I saw a small bag of Reese's pieces, but right next to it was a more economical larger bag or the family fun size bag. Saw the prices, did the quick math in my head. I justified it. I said, my dollar would go a lot further if I, do- if I buy the $4.85 enormous bag of Reese's pieces. So I get my car, start driving back home. I have one Reese's pieces. I go, wow, this is amazing. Quickly, I realized I was going to blow through this entire bag of Reese's pieces if. I didn't try to control the situation. So what I did, open up the bag. I take a moderate handful. At first, I grabbed a huge handful and I was like, wait a second, you did pay for these. I grab a large handful, roll down the window, and I throw probably 85 Reese's pieces out the window, right? Because I'm moderating the situation. I'm controlling it. So I get home, and on the ride home, I've probably had maybe 40 to 50 Reese's Pieces, and they are so delicious. So I've had enough Reese's Pieces, I've told myself. I don't put them where I normally put sweets and treats. I put them in the silverware tray behind the silverware. It's almost like I'm trying to hide my Reese's Pieces. And so after I brush my teeth, my brain, or my addiction, shall we say, to sugar or those addictive properties... Convinces myself to make a smoothie. So I'm making a smoothie and guess what pops in my mind is another great ingredient Yes, the rest of the bag of the Reese's Pieces So I throw in about another 150 maybe 200 Reese's Pieces blend this thing up in my ninja blender and like at 1 a.m I have just a colossal pile of sugar and pineapple and fruit in this blender and of course I drink it down and It was delicious. I tell myself, you know what? We're not drinking alcohol Let's have 7,000 calories worth of sugar in Reese's Pieces. No big deal. Don't get down on yourself. But when I woke up the next morning, it felt like I was just standing right in front of a train and just got crushed by it. I was confused. I was irritable. I was shaky. I was mentally and physically weak. I had fatigue. I was hungry. Oh, yeah. And there was some anxiety that kicked in, too. I had even planned to make this podcast yesterday. But after that myriad of just terrible emotions and feelings, I was like, yeah, we're going to push this back one more day and hopefully not ingest 7,000 calories of sugar. Not sure, it was only a bag of Reese's Pieces. But the behavior that I exhibited, for one, veering into the gas station, justifying purchasing a larger amount because economically, I would have more money in my bank account and I get more bang for my buck if I get the family size. And then I try to control it when driving home, throw out a handful of these Reese's pieces on the highway and then hide the bag of Reese's pieces when I was done or thought I was done. And then 30 minutes later, go back to the secret hiding place, pull it out and finish the stockpile. You can just replace Reese's pieces with Jose Cuervo, right? Pretty similar behavior, but just a different substance. So let's get into why sugar is such a highly addictive substance. This podcast will mirror a blog post on SoberNation.com from May 26, written by Matthew Lovett, about how sugar can wreck your recovery. News flash for you guys, sugar is not your friend. It is your foe. Now, when you hear this, you might be like, yeah, this podcast sucks. A golf podcast seems pretty appealing right now. Or I'm going to go check out that home and gardening podcast because a podcast telling me that sugar is not my friend. Yeah, I don't need to be hearing this. But if you are interested in long-term recovery, you might want to pay attention. Chocolate has been recommended in the rooms of recovery as a vital resource to have. Even in the big books of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 133 and 34, it is recommended that you always have chocolate nearby to help with cravings. And this guidance, although certainly well-intentioned, implies that sugar should be our best friend in recovery. Unfortunately, this advice may not be too sound. So here's what Matt has to write about this. From a psychological perspective, eating loads of sugar produces a similar response in the body as taking drugs or alcohol. Even though we don't experience the mind-altering high associated with our drug of choice mine was alcohol, sugar destabilizes blood glucose, causes exaggerated peaks and valleys in blood sugar, and may worsen withdrawal symptoms or ignite cravings for which we are trying to abstain from. If we are experiencing physical discomfort as we withdraw from sugar, drugs, or alcohol, or we are hit with epic cravings for sugar, drugs, and alcohol, we are a wee bit more likely to take in sugar, drugs, and more alcohol. Relapse is part of my story, unfortunately. And what I've done in previous podcast episodes, I've mentioned that relapse happens way before the first drink. And oftentimes, when my relapse happens, I think back and I think about my diet. There was a time in August 2012, when after staying sober through my fantasy football draft in Las Vegas, at about 3 a.m., I decided to make a stop at Windshields and do a favor for the guys. I bought 12 donuts. After going back to the hotel, I had two donuts, popped an Ambien, and went to bed. Well, I thought I went to bed. I woke up the next morning and there were no donuts left. And then I saw my friends and said, oh, you guys saw the donuts. I'm glad you ate them. They're like, donuts? We saw an empty box. And I'm just like, oh, shit. So basically, in my ambient sober stupor, I threw down about 10 more donuts. Sure enough, the next day, I felt like crap, displayed all those emotions that I talked about earlier, and I relapsed about two weeks later. I don't claim to be a doctor or a medical professional in the field of alcoholism or the field of sugar and nutrition, but here are a few symptoms associated when you spike your blood sugar levels. What I mean by that is when your blood sugar levels are going up and down all over the board. If you constantly do this to your body, you're going to experience anxiety, confusion, irritability, hunger, shakiness, weakness, and fatigue. Good night, Georgia. Those are a lot of the symptoms that I have during a hangover. Go figure. Go figure. Now, I am 100% positive my body metabolizes and digests alcohol differently than normal drinkers. I wonder if my body, as an alcoholic, processes sugar differently. Well, you betcha. Dr. Joan Matthews Larson, author of Seven Weeks of Sobriety, believes that the vast majority of alcoholics present an altered ability to metabolize sugar properly, and she suggests that until severe fluctuations of blood sugar are stabilized, alcoholics will be predisposed to alterations in mood, outlook, and ultimately health. I've gone out drinking with the guys. I come home and I drink a hell of a lot more by myself. I've gone out for ice cream with the guys. I come home and I'll finish the entire tub of ice cream by myself. Yes, my body, yes, my body reacts differently to sugar and I need to recognize that. So the effects of sugar upon blood glucose are more pronounced in alcoholics as alcohol is straight sugar. I may have left this out or maybe I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again for you and so I can hear it to myself. Sugar is highly addictive, and here's why. Sugar stimulates the release of dopamine, the feel-good neurotransmitter in the brain. When we take in large amounts of sugar, the brain releases a bunch of dopamine and we feel really, really good. Unfortunately, the more often we expose the brain to the sugar-dopamine response, the more dependent it becomes on sugar to produce feelings of well-being with diminishing returns, which encourages us to eat more and more sugar, or drink more and more alcohol to reach the same effect as previously obtained with a lesser amount of alcohol. Wow, my intake of sugar mirrored my intake of alcohol almost identically. Now, a lot of you are probably saying to yourself, Paul, you probably live in a deep valley in those Rocky mountains up in Montana where there is no civilization, no lights, no stores, anything. Because if you are recommending I completely eliminate sugar out of my diet, you're just, well, you're crazy. So I understand it's not 100% possible to eliminate all sugar out of your diet. And a lot of sugar, natural sugars found in fruits such as apples and berries and a little bit of pineapple, those are good for you. And I've heard this before, anything in moderation can't be that bad for you. But if you can moderate your sugar intake, that's okay. You can have a piece of cake at a wedding or at a birthday party. But if your idea or plan of moderating is by throwing a handful of Reese's Pieces out the window while going 55 miles an hour and trying not to blast the oncoming traffic with small Reese's Pieces, then you might need to think about just not eating donuts, Reese's Pieces, or any sugary treats. Now, there are only a few things in life that are guaranteed, but this one is pretty much a given. My sugar craving will develop again. And when you do have sugar cravings, or maybe even a craving for alcohol, here are a few strategies that you can employ. Eat a breakfast rich in protein with healthy fats. Fats are actually good for us. In fact, I just heard the other day on a podcast that a low-fat diet will actually prevent your body from losing weight. Because guess what? Your body needs fats. It needs healthy fats found in avocados and nuts, not the fat found in a honey bun. So protein and fat are more satiating than sugar carbohydrate rich foods and are better at stabilizing blood sugar for extended periods of time. Another strategy could be eat early and often. It may be easier to promote healthy blood sugar levels by eating smaller meals more frequently. Another strategy, in general, favor whole unprocessed foods. These are real foods that are consumed in a form close to that which they are found in nature. These will contain their natural vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, and fiber. And these all help keep blood sugar levels normal. Basically, that whole organic thing, it may be a fad. It might all be hype. But guess what? I buy into it. There's a lot on the line for me. And if you see something on the shelf where you look at the expiration date and be like, Oh, good. This doesn't go bad till 2021. I don't have to eat it right away. It's probably not a good purchase. Another strategy, get ample deep sleep. Sleep and recovery is quintessential. It's going to help with the sugar cravings and a whole lot of other stuff. The last strategy eliminates stress. Stress is known to contribute to poor dietary decision making and makes the body more susceptible to cravings. Eliminating sugar from your diet is just one drop in the bucket of the whole diet equation. When I finally paid more attention to my diet and was really cognizant about what I was putting into my body, I gave myself such a better chance of staying sober because really it is just garbage in, garbage out. So here's a great podcast resource for you guys to listen to. It is the Model Health Show with nutrition expert Sean Stevenson. Just Google the model health show. I actually sent Sean an email requesting interview because this guy is solid gold. And you are gonna rocket your recovery and just your overall well-being into the fifth dimension if you really focus on eliminating sugar from your diet and reining in that whole diet thing. Recovery elevator, I've done over 25 interviews now. And after each interview, I'm like, man, that was the best interview I've done yet. But really, this interview is special. So you guys are in for a treat. Recovery Elevator, I'd like to welcome Robert to the podcast. Robert, how are you?
1: I'm doing fair, doing okay.
0: Okay, yeah, Robert, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober?
1: Well, I've been sober now for five days and that was coming. Off, that's coming off a relapse. Uh, before the relapse, I was sober for four weeks.
0: There we go, nice job. And let's jump right into the podcast title. When did you realize that you are done riding your elevator down and you want to stop drinking?
1: Well, uh, like you always say, when you're you're just tired of being tired, and that's kind of what happened to me. When I started, um, I had always been a drinker that kind of did it, you know, behind the scenes, you know, um, late at night. And when that late at night started becoming in the day, that's when I realized this has got to stop. I can't walk around. I can't go home. I can't go home at lunch and drink a six-pack. That's just not cool. Uh, I can't do it. I've got way too much ahead of me. I've got way too much for future, and um, I just can't do it. So my elevator slammed at the bottom right about the time I started drinking in the day.
0: That's going to lead us into my next question, Robert. Describe your drinking habits. And I am actually going to read a paragraph that you wrote in our Recovery Elevator private accountability group. And this is what you said. You would say, I would get off work around 4 p.m., go to one of about five places and pick up some beer. I drink most of it on the way home. I then drink a couple of glasses of wine while I cook dinner and just did normal house stuff. We have a nine-year-old. My wife would usually go up to the bedroom around 9.30, and then I would attack the box wine. Those things are so easy for alcoholics to hide their amount. And that was my routine. So I guess expand upon that routine.
1: You dealt it. that is it. That was my routine there in the end. And uh, like I said, I had about five places I'd go to. You know, I don't want anybody to know that I'm an alcoholic, even if it's just some, you know, convenience store clerk. So I, I had about five places I would go to after work, and I would get a six-pack of beer. Uh, I'm in a family business, so it's easy for me to cut off when I want to. So usually I would leave work around four, Then I would hit one of those places and get a six-pack and some gum, if I didn't have any gum, and then up from there I would – I had a route that I would take. It was a long, it was a good, solid hour and fifteen minutes to get home, and I would usually take that route and drink my beer and listen to a talk radio show. And that's what I did. And then when I got home, you know, I came and I was very, very good at being an alcoholic. So if that makes any sense. So, but when I came home, I was completely normal. No, nobody knew. I would play with my son. You know, I would say hello to my wife. The normal roles of, of a parent and a husband, and and then I couldn't wait to start cooking. I'm cooking our family, so I couldn't wait to start cooking because that allowed me to look normal and drink my wine while I cooked our dinner. So that's kind of what I did. I would kind of regulate what I drank at that point because I didn't want to look obvious. You know, I didn't want my wife, you know, who, who always knew I was a heavy drinker, but probably didn't realize I was as heavy as I was. So I would just make my dinner, drink my glass and a half of wine and just kind of go through the routine of being, you know, a family member. But the, the sad thing is, right right after dinner, when I was appearing to be normal, that's kind of when I was, you know, wanting everybody to get to bed. All right, now it's time for all y'all to get to bed so that I can slam, so I can just attack that box of wine that I've got over there at the bar. And that's kind of what I did. And the sad thing about that is I probably acted like a rushed father and a rushed husband just trying to get everybody in their situation, in, in their bed, get my wife upstairs, you know, around 9.30 so she could take her bath and then pile into our bed so that I could be downstairs and just start attacking that box of wine. And that's kind of what I did. That's basically, you know, the nutshell version of my drinking habits in the end.
0: And that's going to lead us in the next question. How did your drinking impact your relationships with family, friends, at work, with your spouse? Did anyone ever suggest that you might drink too much?
1: Um, with sadly, as far as my sisters and my parents, because I, I come from a very close family, it didn't. They never really saw me. Occasionally, on, a, on maybe like a special occasion, they might see me, or they might notice me get a little, you know, quote unquote, thick tongued or something like that. But for the most part, they didn't really. And, and the, r- real quick, my drink when I drank, I steak My personality didn't really change. I'm a pretty laid back person, and my uh, personality wise and my drinking never really made me you know the life of the party. I pretty much stayed in care I pretty much stayed me as I drank. I was just very a little bit more relaxed mentally anyway as far as my my family you that know, they didn't didn't really affect us friends, no, they were my drinking buddies, so it didn't didn't affect my yeah you know, as an alcoholic, you seek out people that drink with you, and uh that's definitely what I did so no it didn't it it, it didn't affect my relationship with my friends. But with my wife and with my son, I would definitely say it affected that relationship because I was lazy. You know, being an, an alcoholic, drinking a lot, that was my goal. And um, so I put my wife and my son basically on the back burner. You know, drinking was number one. Uh, they were number two and three, or together they were number two. And I think looking back, it was obvious. Because since I've been sober, you know, even though I am struggling with with the relapse and and post-relapse, and I'm really struggling right now with that, but after I quit drinking, my wife kept telling me, you really are in the moment. She would say, I can can so tell a difference with you right now. Uh, You're just so in the moment when I'm talking to you, you're listening to me, and um, I really appreciate it, and I really, I just want you to know that I love you, and I'm so glad that you decided to quit drinking because I can tell a huge difference in your personality and just the way you you are listening to me and looking at me, and, and you're just very, again in the
0: moment. Robert, your wife said a remarkable thing. You are now in the moment, and I've said this in previous yep. podcast episodes, sobriety and drinking... It's really a matter of life and death, sometimes actual in that meaning, but more you're not living because I am right there with you. When I would be at a bar, for example, and I would be in a conversation with somebody, and that conversation went a little past my drinking time. I would basically just cut the person off. I'd be like, okay, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, okay." yeah. You know, body Absolutely. language, I'd be taking one small step to the left. One more to the left, like okay, yeah, great, great. Oh yeah, I'll call you. Yeah. Oh god, wait, what? There's 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 more to this story, right? Because my number yeah. my number one goal was was to drink, and those relationships mm. that would happen with my parents, with my brother, with my close friends, with girlfriends, and it's really hard to build a relationship when all you care about is drinking. I'm I'm glad you're right. You mentioned that and. Robert, we are going to get into the bulk of this interview and I am so excited that you're on the podcast with us today because I have explained a little bit about the Recovery Elevator private accountability group and Robert, yes. bef- when I created this group, it was guys like you and girls just like you that are all, we're all trying to quit drinking that I wanted to be in this group and I am going to read a post that you wrote on May 13th. Is that okay? Okay. Absolutely. Okay, here we go. This is from Robert on May 13th. Y'all, please pray for me. I'm actually buzzed as I type this. Not bad buzzed, just a little. I keep getting this feeling I'm going to explode at some point and just let everyone know. I have no doubt that I'm an abuser of alcohol, but I've just become so good at hiding it. Pride is killing me. Probably Literally. I'm not trying to start a sympathy thread. I just want prayers or whatever your higher power is because I'm tired. I'm exhausted and I'm really tired of pride getting in my way from solving something that needs to be solved. Thanks. Now, Robert, I'm not Sherlock Holmes. I'm not looking at this with a magnifying glass, but that looks to me like you're ready to quit drinking. How did it feel to write that and create some accountability?
1: Oh, it it felt great. Um, like you said about the the, the Facebook page you know, you, you would, i think i, I had got in touch with you to let you know how much I enjoyed your podcast and you right right after that you had would, you would, um, emailed me back telling me about this facebook page and i was I remember being kind of hesitant at first. I remember I think I said, oh I don't know is it going to show up on my you know my timeline or anything I was very very, very much in in the uh, dark. So, I was wanting to stay in the dark. So, when I first started getting on onto that Facebook, when I allowed myself to just relax and go get on that Facebook page of yours and post, it started to feel like I was kind of getting it out, getting my secret out. Even though these people, I didn't know these people. It was really the first time that I was able to just lay my cards on the table. You know, that that Facebook page meant a lot to me. It was the definitely, obviously, it was the first step. And uh, riding that, that day, as, you, as I mentioned earlier, my elevator crashed out at the bottom when I started drinking in the day. That's, that was new to me towards the end, and that was when I realized I've got a massive problem, and I've got to stop. This is going nowhere. This is going nowhere good. And that day, you know, I had gone home for, for, for lunch that day and drank. My wife and my son were out of town. Go, I went home for lunch that day. I came back to work to my family business with a bus. And like I said, I wasn't massively buzzed, just a nice, good buzz. We all know what a good buzz is. And um, anyway, and so I took to your page right off the bat. I went in there and I said, I'm going to let everybody know how I'm feeling right now. So it gave me an outlet to just tell everybody how I was feeling. And I don't know if you want to read it from then on, but it got very interesting after I made that post.
0: It gets very interesting. And yes, I'm looking forward to this next segment. But before we get there, after you wrote that, there were 12 comments that posted within the next minute, with the next half hour. There were, and I think at this moment, we were only at about 30 people in the group, which is now has more than doubled. But there were Uh people just saying, you know, you're not the only one who hides it, Robert. I'm ashamed to say I've become pretty good at sneaking around to drink in secret over the years. You know, I, I love that you are all here. I hope to be there. I really, really you know, there's there's so many people that are doing the exact same thing you are doing and me, and they're all supporting you. But let's get down to your next post, which comes at about five hours on May 13th after that. <laughs> It says, well, guys, I'm about to make this interesting. My wife hopped on the computer. I needed to check something via Facebook, so she just used my account. She never does that. About the time she logged in was about the time a notification popped up from a curry elevator. She read this thread. She approached me when I got home from work, but in a sweet, concerned way, she probably always knew. I told her to give me a moment, and then I slid out the back door to the office, where I am now, writing this, face the music. I'm terrified. I will say this. In a crazy way, this thread may save my life. I don't really know what to do. I'm motionless. I'm terrified. I'm not ready. Talk to me about that post about five hours after the initial post.
1: Okay, so I make that initial post and then I go about my day and then I, I go home. And then as I go home, and I also, by the way, you know, I, I drank that day, that lunch, and then I came back to the, that post. And then of course, when I left the office, I did my norm. I drank some beer on the, on the way home with my route and all that stuff. And then when I got home, my wife was just kind of uh, standing there in the kitchen, and she just kind of looked at me. Because I had gone to her you know, about, I'm sorry to be veering off course, but probably about four or five months before that, I'd gone to her crying one morning, and, and, I, and I used the word, I have a drinking problem. And, then I, and I told her, as I kind of cried towards her, that I really need to slow down my drinking. And so at that point, we just kind of agreed that I would, I would agree to slow down, which is hilarious. That doesn't happen. Anyway, so I'm just kind of laying that out there because this kind of had gone on a few times before the dust settled here. And anyway, so back to after when I got home that day, she just was in the kitchen looking at me and she said, I, I just want you to know that I just read. This recovery elevator podcast or, or forum or Facebook, whatever that is, she said, whatever group you're on, I just read your post. And then she just looked at me and said, are you, are you drunk right now? And I just went, "Um, give me a minute. And I just kind of just said, just give me a second. Because I didn't want to flip out. I didn't want to do all that. And I just said, look, I, I just said, Sandy, I, I've come to you in the past and let you know that I've had a drinking problem and I, I agree to you that I would slow down with my drinking I said, I haven't done that. I said, if anything, it's gotten worse. And I just said, I just need to process all this right now because I'm feeling extremely vulnerable as you you stand there across from me. I said, first of all, and then I was it's funny, I was about to go off on her for reading my uh, Facebook post. So I kind of went, why are you, why are you reading my, why are you logging into my Facebook page? What are you doing that for? And so I, I was playing the role of, I was playing the defensive role there for a second. And then she said, that is not the topic we're talking about right now. She said, don't even go there. Said, you you tell me right now if you're drunk. And I just said, no, I'm not drunk right now, but I do have a bus. And and, and then she said, okay, well, what's, what's the deal? And she said, I, I, she, and then she just looked at me and she said, I think some things need to happen. She said, you're not getting better. You've come to me crying. You're posting on, on some random Facebook group page, and you're talking about having a buzz in the middle of the day, she said, this, not, this is not going to work. We, we, we've we got to figure something out right now. And that's when I said, okay. I said, just give me a second. Let me, let me process. And so then she went upstairs to do something, and that's when I wrote on a pad, I said, I'll be right back. I'm going to go right around and let all this, you know, settle in. And that's when I grabbed a six-pack at a convenience store and drove to the office, and made that post that you just read I'm about to, it's about to get interesting. So, and there here we are. We're in we're my interesting post that I made that you just read.
0: And Robert, what that did and what that did for me as well when I had that same moment. And everybody out there if you're looking to quitting drinking, this exact moment where you tell People will you tell your loved ones, you know, in the past, you're like, I think I have a drinking problem, right? I said that to my parents and my brother many, many times. But when I really got honest with myself and them being like, yeah, drinking problem might be an understatement. I'm actually an alcoholic. But what you did right there, you finally put the wheels on the road. Because for me, my wheels were just spinning and spinning and spinning. But when I told my parents and myself and everybody around me by launching this podcast, like, all right, damn, I'm an alcoholic. Holy crap, there was some traction. The wheels were not spinning. They didn't start moving fast, but they slowly started moving forward. And tell me a little bit more about what happened after that. But I'm gonna read the paragraph and then just take it from there. And you can recap what I read, but talk to me about your feelings, your emotions, and what happened after that. And he's like, here we go, this is what you say. So since I posted the drama the other night, I'd like to finish where it ended. I meet with my sisters, very close family, yesterday morning. I cried and told them everything from there. Me and my sisters went to my parents' house. I was terrified. I was so scared I would break their heart. I basically ran in the house, hugged my mom and said, I'm sorry, but I'm an alcoholic. I'm so sorry. She was in shock and yelled at my dad, dig get in here. Poor guy. He walked in the room so confused as four people stared at him with painful looks. In a nutshell, they were awesome. We all sat down and just talked. It could not have gone better. They could all not have been more supportive. Talk to me about that.
1: Okay, so the so the so the next morning we elaborate. So the next morning was when I had agreed with my wife that I would seek uh, some counseling through her job. She works at a hospital, and they offer like a ten day or a ten session, you know, uh, counseling. So when it was free. So I was like, hell yeah, I'll do that. So uh, anyway, so I, I got up that. That next morning, went to work. My wife called me at work and said, "Uh, "Have you called the counselor yet about setting up some appointments?" I said, "Not yet." I said, "I'm feeling, I'm feeling real vulnerable. I feel like I'm about to have an anxiety attack." I said, "I'm real nervous about telling my parents." And I just started, I mean, just saying all that stuff. It was just kind of coming out, you know. I was just, you know, everything was coming out. I was just a wreck. I mean, I I was just, my big, deep, dark secret was about to be in the public for the first time, and I was terrified, terrified about all that. So uh, when she talked to me, she 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 could kind of feel where I was coming from. So she hung that phone up, and then she immediately called my sister. It was on her way to work. So uh, when my sister walked in, she walked in. She's, she's my older sister. She walked in and looked at me, and her eyes started kind of uh, welling up a little bit. And she just hugged me, and she just said, I, I know. Sandy just told me. And then so we, we together called my other sister. Um, I've got two older sisters. And uh, they came over here, and we kind of came up with a plan on what to do and how to approach my parents. As I told you in the past, both of my parents had raging alcoholic fathers. So uh, it's my family is eaten up with alcoholism. But anyway, both of my parents had raging, raging, raging alcoholic fathers. So I was very, very, very concerned, uh, very nervous, very uncomfortable. I mean, you find the word, that's what I was, about having to go into that house and tell my parents. And so we, we together, me and my two sisters, just made the decision to do it. Let's just get in the car right now and go do it. So that's what we did. We got in the car. As soon as we pulled up, I practically raced to the front door. And I started pounding on it. It was locked. And I just pounded, pounded, pounded. I wanted to get this over with so fast. And as soon as that door opened, I ran in there. I hugged my mom. And I just started, my voice was cracking. I just said, I'm an alcoholic. And she just looked at me like in shock. That's when she yelled at my dad. She was like, Bob, get in here, get in here and he didn't know what was going on. He he comes in and he's all just depopulated. populated look. I mean, he's just out of it. And she said, Robert just told us, you know, and then and then so from there, after all that emotion went on for, you know, about thirty seconds, we all sat down in the living room and we just talked about it. And know, we all went around and we all talked about it. And everybody said, We're here to support you and it just it just became a we're here to support you type of a conversation. And so, um, it was great, and so I felt great. You know, I, when I came back, to the officer had a—I had practically—I don't get migraines, but I had what felt like a migraine, and I was exhausted, and I was nauseous, and I was everything you can think of. My sister said, "Robert, you look white-lipped," you know, because I was just so exhausted, and then my head was throbbing, and, and it was just—it was just all that relief, all that emotion, just all of that coming out. You know, it was just kind of like I stepped out of my. My dark secret. I just told everybody that I cared the most about my dark secret that I was very ashamed of. And so um from that day for the next four weeks, um, sobriety was really easy and that that's what's really strange. And um I have a cousin a cousin of mine is in the process of you know going to school to become a counselor and he's going to specialize in intervention and things like that. And he described me when I was in the process of going through my first four weeks of sobriety, recovery, he was telling me, I was telling him how easy it was, and he was telling me that you're going through what they call a pink cloud. And I said, a pink cloud? And he just said, yeah, that's just when you're, you're so relieved to get all this out in the open that right now you're just, you're just kind of smooth sailing on adrenaline and, and, and relief and emotion and all that. He said, so, so it's kind of giving you a boost through your recovery and uh he was right and that's what it felt like because it was so easy I almost felt uncomfortable that it was as easy as it was I almost felt kind of like god was I even an alcoholic I mean this isn't supposed to be this easy everybody talks about you know how you're supposed to the first 30 days or whatever are supposed to be the hardest days of recovery and I was just cruising right on through almost started to feel guilty it was weird the bad thing about that, though, is that I rewarded myself with, with, with it being so easy, and when my wife and my child went out of town for a night, I had decided that I this has just been so easy four weeks in, I think I'm going to do my old routine tonight. And so that's what I did that night. I went and got my beer, drank it on the way home. Now, it was a little more dramatic. I remember when I was in the grocery store, which was one of my five stops. When I was in the grocery store, I I think I stood around and walked around the beer, a little old beer area, for a good thirty minutes. Just, just kind of pacing around. uh, You know, things were going in my mind like, "Uh, what kind of beer do I want? Do I want beer? Do I want to get wine? Do I want to get vodka?" You know, I never really drank vodka. I was like, maybe I just want to get vodka. That way, I'm not going to drink beer or wine. So I was just walking back and forth in the grocery store in the beer section looking at beer, all this was going through my mind. I was pacing back and forth. I probably looked awkward to anybody that was passing by. But anyway, I was just doing all this just before I made the decision to just grab the old six pack that I always got. I walked out, cashed out, went outside, did the same thing in the car. I sat there in the car and I was like, oh, maybe I don't want to do this. It's not too late to stop. Uh, Maybe I just, maybe I don't need to drink. This will be great. I'm, I'm I'm on four weeks. Don't drink. Don't do it. You don't have to do it. And so all that was going on in my mind, and I just grabbed a beer, ripped off the top, and just chugged it. And, um, and there we went. There we went, into straight into the routine, straight into the old route that I used to take on the way home. Of course, I wasn't having a hide at all this time, so I, I didn't finish my beer. I probably drank about two or three of them. I got home with the rest of my six-pack. And uh, by the way, on the way home, I grabbed some wine, uh, got home, finished off my beer while I did a few chores and around the house and, um, rented the movie Sideways of all movies, which is about Napa Valley wine country. Uh, at that point opened my wine and just had a heyday. I just drank and I just drank. I mean, it, 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 it felt, it was fun in the beginning. I think I went through a stage of feeling extremely guilty. Anyway, and until, until I eventually, um uh, passed out, I woke up on the couch. And um, I had a hangover the next morning. Oh, and and I didn't, I didn't really get hangovers, but but this morning, whew, and it was, it was bad. It was a throbber. and um, so I, I went to work, and you know I just started back. This was a Friday. I went, went to work, started back, trying to get back into my routine. And I was telling myself, okay, that that's over with. I did that. It wasn't fun, you know. It, I feel guilty. I feel horrible. I'm ashamed of myself. All those emotions were going through. And um, anyway, I got to work, started my day, and I think is when I posted about, I think I posted something like, all right, guys, uh, day one. And I did that. I posted about it being day one and um, and all that. And then, of course, everybody was responding in, in, in the Recovery Elevator Facebook page. And um, I don't know if you need to read anything else there or, or where you want me to go from here.
0: Well, I'm going to quote, Neil Armstrong. I'm bring that guy who who walked on a moon, and for actually a couple reasons. Number one, Neil Armstrong, he's one of us, Robert. He, he he he's an alcoholic. That dude walked on the moon. He did some pretty big things, but he has that famous quote. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Robert, on that day, on May 13th, you made a giant leap forward for your sobriety, right? Everybody, you've heard the quote, Mm -hmm. two steps forward, one step back. That day, you took about 100 steps forward. And you've relapsed, that's fine. Relapse is part of my story. Relapse isn't part of everybody's story, but that is perfectly normal to relapse. And that's part of your journey, part of your progress. It's not gonna be perfect. And I just want to commend you, Robert, for making that giant leap forward. I mean, that is miles and miles. I mean, you have no idea how long of a leap that is forward. And just congratulations. And just take a second and talk to me about how this all feels, right? Don't talk to me about the relapse and the shame of that. But how does it all feel just to have it out there?
1: Oh, it feels it feels great to have it out there. I mean, I'm, it's out there with my friends, it's out there with my family, with with my the people that I work with, which are my family, and it feels good. You know, I'm not ashamed. I understand that alcoholism is a disease, so I'm not really ashamed. It feels good. You know, I know that's not the greatest word, but it just it just feels good to have it out. You know, and, and that first few weeks, first four weeks of sobriety were awesome. They were. Flat out awesome. I mean, I felt good uh, looking in the mirror. I didn't have bags as much under my eyes. My physical appearance was looking a little bit more, you know, I felt like I had more color in my skin just looking at myself in the mirror. You know, and I just, it just, just, everything felt good. You know, I, I used to, when I drank a lot, I would always have, I had stomach issues when I would drink. Those were easing away. And um, I went to see the doctor. Uh, I never really saw the doctor. So I went, and, I went and saw a doctor and kind of kind of got a little checkup. It just everything was going smooth, and good, and I just felt good. And, um, and and today I still feel good even though I told you that after my relapse I've struggled. You know, that pink cloud that I was grasping onto, gone. That thing's gone. There's no more pink cloud. It's a black cloud or whatever you want to call it. But right now I'm hanging on to that black cloud with the devil on my shoulder. I mean, he, he's pitching a tent on my shoulder right now because he's hanging out a lot. And so, you know, I'm having to uh, go through that right now. So uh, right now, in the present, I feel I feel okay. I, I don't I don't feel I, feel I feel I feel relieved that everybody knows. And, and so, those days of me drinking in the in the middle of the night or late at night, those are gone. Those days of me hanging out with my family, gone. Days of me drinking with my friends, gone. But I'm still having a problem with wanting to drink that beer on the way home from work when nobody's around me. You know, when I can grab that six pack of beer, I can get into my car and I can just ride my old route and I can drink, you know, where nobody, nobody can see me. I can still do that. And that's what I'm having a hard time with. That, that's after my relapse, you know, I, I, I did that a couple times. While I'm not getting drunk, if I keep that up, I, I think that it will um, it'll only get worse. You know, and I'll figure out ways to leave my house and go drink it somewhere. You know, I'll, I'll, I will I'll, could see me making up, and I'm not a liar. I never lie. I pride myself on not lie. I could see myself making up events that I'm going to at night just so that I could go out and drink. And so I see this, and so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm just going through this phase right now where I'm really trying to rein myself in. You know, I've gone to a couple of AA meetings. Um, I went to one meeting that was very small group of people, and it was okay, but in that meeting, everybody just decided they were having a hard time finding a topic when I walked in, and I walked in, and I was like, hey, I'm the new guy, and so, oh, hey, we have a topic, and so during that meeting, everybody kind of told me their problems, or why they became, they just gave me their alcoholic version of them, and so in that meeting, I just kind of sat there while everybody talked to me, and uh, it was all right, and then that was my first meeting, my, my meeting after that it was a, about a week later, I went to a bigger meeting, and, um, yeah it was okay. I mean, I, it was completely different in the, the same format, but it was just a lot of people at this meeting, a lot of clicks in the meeting, you know, a lot of people were kind of gathered around talking. It felt okay. And so um, so I guess right now I'm trying to kind of find an AA home group that, that I like that I feel comfortable with, and I'm just trying to knock this devil off my shoulder as he, as he harasses me about wanting to drink in private on my way home from work. So I'm just kind of dealing with that and not wanting that to escalate into other horrible things. That's just kind of where I'm at now.
0: Robert, I got good news and bad news for you. The good news okay. is it gets easier. The more duration of sobriety you have, it gets easier. The bad news is this just in, there will always be struggles. Even at 10 months of sobriety, there are days where I struggle big time. But now I know, and it looks like you know this as well, Robert, we are not alone. If I ever get myself into a pickle, I want to be like, I want to be like a teenage girl after a middle school dance, waiting for her mom to pick her up on a park bench, just staring at my phone at Facebook. I'm going to be in this group, just staring at it, just talking to you guys. I have this immense resource called accountability. There are so many people that I could talk to. In fact, all the people that I interviewed, I can just call them up and be like, Hey, look, I need help. I can't do this alone. Robert, right. let's get into the rapid fire round. Are you ready for this? Absolutely. Nice. And we answer these questions in 30 to 60 seconds, please. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking?
1: Late at night, if, if I had been drinking a good bit, my wife would still be up. She'd come down and if we'd have a fight, I could be a, I could have a sharp tongue. And I could say things that I really, really regret. And um, that's, that's easily uh, my worst memories of drinking.
0: What's your plan in sobriety moving forward?
1: feels like, like such a typical AA person saying this, but it's the day-by-day thing. That's really what it is, and I really recognize that right now. It's day-by-day. You just, it really is just to take it day-by-day, and I think it's going to get easier. Like you said before, like everybody says, it gets easier, and um, I'm just kind of in a rut right now with the relapse, but I think I will be able to find that day-by-day again and just take it from there.
0: In regards to sobriety, what is your favorite resource in recovery?
1: Pat you on the back, it's got to be the Recovery Elevator Facebook page and your podcast.
0: I will um, PayPal you the I'm, money in just a little bit.
1: <laughs> there you go. And, uh, you know, I, I tried to find a lot of uh, podcasts, and I wasn't really finding any that I, that I liked. You know, I rent, I just typed in alcoholism, you know, in mm-hmm. Stitcher or something like that. And, and when you came up, when yours came up, I listened to it, and I, and I loved it. I think I, I remember what episode you were on, but I mean, I, I flew through those first 10 episodes. And uh, and then from there, the, the Recovery Elevator Facebook group, I really, really, really enjoy that group, and I, and I go there several times a day. And uh, so I'll, I'll call that my, uh, my my favorite resource right now in recovery.
0: And my last question, Robert, even though you have five days of sobriety, you've still made that leap what parting piece of guidance can you give to our listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking?
1: My first advice would be that, that somebody told me this as long ago. He, he said, it, "It's a recovery is a marathon. It is not a sprint. If you um, if, if you fall off, if you fall down, just get back up. You've got twenty six point two or higher than miles that is. I mean, you have got a long way to go. It's not a sprint. It's nothing that's going to happen fast. You, you just you got it's a marathon. And so um, I took that to heart. And then I would probably as far as my parting piece of guidance, I would probably say, think of all the positives of, of not drinking, because there is oh man, is there so many more positives to not drinking than positives to drinking, and if you think about that and even write them down, all those positives for not drinking, I think you'll see that the pros outweigh the cons, and the list is probably not even close.
0: Robert. Thank you so much for joining us. I've enjoyed my time with you, and I am going to stay sober today after speaking with you.
1: Well, I appreciate it, Paul, and thanks for letting me come in here and and tell my story.
0: You might be an alcoholic if. I actually had removed this segment from the podcast the last couple episodes, but due to popular demand and some great suggestions by you guys, it's back. And if you've got some you-might-be-an-alcoholic-if contributions, email them to me at info at recoveryelevator.com. Here's the first one. You might be an alcoholic if you buy only two shooters of vodka because you're trying to cut down and then walk in a snowstorm to buy more vodka just 20 minutes later. This one's from Anthony. You might be an alcoholic if jumping a bowling alley on your motorcycle does not violate your driver's license suspension. Only in Butte, Montana. This one's from Craig. You might be an alcoholic when you sneak miniature vodkas in your coffee mug at work and then chomp on peppermints to mask the smell. This one's from Greg and probably my favorite. This one's from Greg and probably one of my favorites. You might be an alcoholic if you think you dropped your phone in the dark and you use the light on your phone to find it. That's going to be tough to accomplish. (laughs) Thank you for reaching out to Recovery Elevator at info at recoveryelevator.com. So a crazy thing is happening. People are listening and people are reaching out. It's these emails that help keep myself sober and they're going to keep you accountable. If you're struggling with alcohol and you reach out to infoRecoveryElevator.com, it might seem like you're just drafting an email into cyberspace, but we're going to get back to it. I'm getting a lot of these emails. If you don't hear back from me in five days, six days, seven days, just be patient. I will get back to you. And the best part about the whole structure of Recovery Elevator, responding to these emails, it's part of my recovery. There have been days when I say to myself, yeah, I think I got this thing. I'm doing pretty good in sobriety. That's the time when I need to open up my laptop and start responding to emails. I met Robert, who was the interviewee on today's podcast in the Recovery Elevator private Facebook group. There are currently over 60 of us all in recovery, working with other alcoholics on a day-by-day basis. This group has been vital to my recovery. And if you would like to be part of this group, we'd love to have you. In the Facebook search bar, just type in Recovery Elevator. Two results are going to show up. Number one, the Facebook page. Go ahead and like it. Number two is the private group. Request to join and Kelly, who does our great blog post, she will add you. And one concern that has already been voiced is, can other people find out what I'm saying in this group? No. People can see who's in the group, but they can't see any of the posts. So it is somewhat anonymous, but who really cares if it's anonymous? You should not be shameful of having this disease called alcoholism. Recovery elevator, you took the elevator down, you got to take the steps back up. You can do this.